Well, ladies, happy Mother's Day. I've said that to, uh, yeah, thank you. I've said that to at least three or four ladies today who responded, and happy Mother's Day to you. I have rarely been mistaken for a woman. Um, and um, if, if, if I ever am mistaken for a woman, I really pray for your perception of femininity um, because I am a very unqualified lady for sure. Um, I think I want a hearty amen to that. I'm like, eh, you know. So we are very grateful for the ladies of this congregation. Very grateful. Wouldn't be the same place without you. We're, we're grateful because many of you have mothered us. Uh, we have sons and moms here. But we also are grateful as men, as husbands, for the ladies that have, have been at our side and have served beside us as mothers to our very own children. My children's mother is not here today. I've taken great pleasure. And when people say, where's Ginger? I like saying, well, she left me today. So, because uh, she did. She's in Georgia uh, at, at the birthday party of a, of a family relative that she really wanted to be at. And so we gave her, me and the boys gave her the, the grace to do that. Mother's Day is a very different place without mom in the home. Let me tell you that right now. So um, it's undoubtedly true and, and it's, say, it's spoken often that as moms, you play absolutely the most significant role in our society. And the, all the guys said, no, they, they said it like they meant it. Okay, that's what I thought you meant to say. See, the moms are, are in our homes. They're managers, they're teachers. They're pastors, they're doctors, they're referees, especially if you're raising boys like my wife did. They're counselors, they're mechanics, they're chefs, and so forth. And all of this happens, this very job description happens all within the context of this miracle that we call motherhood. But the essence of motherhood, I'm convinced of this, the essence of motherhood doesn't grow out of that moment when the doctor in a delivery room slaps a baby's rear and says it's a boy or it's a girl. That is not where the essence of motherhood is born. It, it's not even, it's not even born in, in nine months of pregnancy and all that's involved in that. See, the, the essence of motherhood is, is rather it is formed when you yourself, ladies, were conceived in the mind of God and in the womb of your own mother as a female, as a girl, as a woman. See, I believe that the essence of motherhood is not maternity, but it's womanhood. I believe that, that, that the, the, the real core of what makes a great mom is what makes a great woman. It, nobody agrees with that? See, in the past five years or so, Ginger has been a caregiver to a few little girls in our church. And in fact, right now we watch Jamie Butts uh, twice a week and it's just a delight. After she'd raised four boys in an environment of wrestling matches and burping contests and action movies, this woman desperately needed a splash of pink in our home desperately, as you ladies can imagine. And so these little girls that have kind of come in and out of our home have been a welcome addition to our home and also to our lives personally. In all of these little girls, though, I have observed that all the characteristics that make for a great mom are already being formed in them. Already. Little bitty kids. 
It's in the way that they tick. You can see it in their unique communication. It's in the way they play and the tenderness of their emotions, the tenderness of their affections, their infectious laughs and the radiance of their joy. So with this idea that womanhood is the essence of motherhood, I would like your permission today to go a little different. I want to address all of the women of our congregation today. Young and old, married and single, moms and not yet moms. See, we're a church, and I hope it doesn't take you long to pick up on this, but we're a church that's absolutely committed to the proclamation and and the telling, the, the heralding of the story of Jesus Christ. We tell we call that story the gospel. And so everything that we do is founded on the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. And we don't make any apologies for that. You won't find pithy motivational lectures here. You won't find helpful hints so that you can be a better you. You won't find some tips for a more successful or happy life because we believe firmly that none of those things matter or none of those things are even possible without a full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you how to have your best life now. The best life now is by dying and surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way to do it. Surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ is what Scripture describes in such pleasant terms as dying to yourself. Yay! Though we don't apologize for this position, one of the challenges that such a commitment presents is that there's often things that are happening within the culture, the larger culture outside the church, sometimes infecting inside the church, that need to be addressed within the context of the Scriptures and the body of Christ so that we have to discern as leadership we have to discern how to do this in the light of the gospel we have no interest in just giving you our own opinions because frankly our opinions are not worth very much at all neither are yours Did y'all hear that yeah so today i'd like to attempt to address something that may not be your traditional flowery hallmark card mother's day topic But I'd like to address this burgeoning culture of misogyny and sexism and the abuse of women that the Lord has allowed to be exposed in recent months. And I want to try to address it with a pastor's heart, but more so, I want to address you directly with the heart of the Father. That's what I'm going to attempt to do today. I I hope that I have your prayers as I make this attempt. When I said that just now, I used the words that the Lord has allowed to be exposed. Because the scriptures are absolutely crystal clear on this point. For example, Numbers 32.23 says this, it says, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out goes on to say in Ecclesiastes, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus himself said, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. 
Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Is there anyone besides your pastor that has little beads of sweat forming on your brow now as you consider these passages from the Word of God? Listen, I'm going to try not to be a downer on this precious holiday. And I'm hopefully when we're done, I'm going to leave you with a sense of security, with love, with hope. But this has become a cultural epidemic that is too big for the church to ignore. Usually the church tries to segment itself over here, the world's over here, and, and, and what happens out here doesn't really affect us that much, and so we kind of stick our heads in the sand. Anybody notice this pattern before in church life? Anybody besides me? You kind of bury your heads in the sand and, and until it becomes so big that you realize that all that time you were, your heads were in the sand, that the roots of this cultural problem were already well developed within the church itself. Yikes. None of you, unless you've been living under a rock, are unaware of the problem that has spawned the hashtag MeToo movement. Vox.com maintains a list of 211 celebrities, politicians, and others uh, that have been accused of sexual misconduct since April of 2017. And let me tell you something. I've reviewed the list yesterday. It's incomplete. It's not all there. There's not everybody's on there. Since April of 2017, that was barely one year ago, everyone is familiar with the sordid details of the escapades of Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and and, uh, Kevin Spacey in the world of entertainment and a list of others. The news media saw giants of their industry like Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose accused and removed from their positions as a result of the fallout of what they had done. We were all horrified to hear the criminal actions of Larry Nasser, formerly a doctor with the U.S. gymnastics team who molested dozens of innocent girls during his tenure in the world of athletics. Minnesota Senator Al Franken was ousted from his seat in the Senate as many women came forth complaining of his sexual impropriety. And yes, even President Trump was caught red-handed, bragging about his assault of women like a 13-year-old boy in a locker room using the most vulgar terms. And he's currently involved in a scandal where he's being accused of having a sexual relationship with a porn star while married to his wife and paying her to keep quiet. If we're indeed the people of God, please listen to me. Take your, your, your... political filter off, put your gospel filter on, and listen, if we're indeed the people of God, all of these things should grieve us. They should rip at our heart. They should fill us with a sense of righteous anger for those who have been victimized and exploited. But is that what's happened? Especially in the church? Sadly, I say no. When the entertainers and the news media personnel are exposed in their sin, we often merely say that we expect that kind of behavior in Hollyweird. We expect that kind of behavior from the liberal leftist media. But when our president is caught with his mouth open and his pants down, we say, ah, boys will be boys. Or that his sexual dalliances don't matter because his policies are good. 
Sadly, some of the loudest voices defending Mr. Trump are the same people who were nearly apoplectic 20 years ago when another president was accused of the same behaviors. And they were shouting at that time, character matters. Well, does it? Does it matter? Does it still matter? Did it ever matter? Or was that just a conservative political attack strategy? And the watching world waits for the response of the people of God. Would there be a healing word a place where the dignity and the honor of the image of God seen in the female side of the human race would be defended and vindicated and treasured and celebrated. But what do they see from us? Apathy, silence, political posturing on Facebook and other social media. Brothers and sisters in Christ, These things should not be so. I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you that the church around the world has done a better job reflecting the heart of God toward women. But sadly, I cannot. Many of us, many of us were horrified to hear of Paige Patterson, the president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, describing in a sermon, no less, a 16-year-old girl as built. His advice to a woman who had come to church with two black eyes and advising her to continue to submit to the ape that was beating her. These comments prompted renowned Bible teacher Beth Moore to write a blog detailing her own treatment in many parts of the church. While she made no allegations of sexual assault per se, she told of multiple instances where she was subjected to misogynistic treatment at worst and simply dismissed at best. She even detailed an instance of a well-known theologian. She had, she had wanted to get to sit down with this man and discuss the deeper teachings of the Bible. And, and she told this story of, of sitting down with him. She did not name him, but she said, and I quote, The instant I met him, he looked me up and down and smiled approvingly and said, Well, you're better looking than so-and-so. He didn't leave it blank. This is her words. He filled it in with the name of another woman Bible teacher. And I'm telling you, church, when I read this on my smartphone, I literally wept. I was embarrassed for us. I was embarrassed for her. And I was heartbroken for Beth Moore. I was heartbroken for, for the disgrace that, that a, a, an alleged man of God brought to her. In the Chicago area, best-selling author, church growth expert, and megachurch pastor Bill Hybels was forced to resign from his church under a cloud of multiple allegations of sexual, sexual inappropriateness. He had planned to retire. After years and years, he would planned to retire in the fall after a storied career in ministry, but instead he resigned early in shame under an investigation that is still going on. How many more stories... Could I tell you? How many more names could I name? 
How many stories of injustice, mistreatment, abuse, and the dishonoring of women? There are many, 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 I'm afraid. Many, I'm afraid. You may think that I'm going too far. It's one thing to talk about Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer, but why air our dirty laundry on a Mother's Day Sunday morning? Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Because 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin. Where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Paul said to the Corinthians, What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Can I put it in my language for you? I don't give a rip what Matt Lauer does. I mean, I hate that he's doing it, and I hate that it's unjust, but but that doesn't concern me more about than, than how the people of God, the body of Christ, responds to this garbage. What have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you're... Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge, Paul asked? God judges those outside. Judgment of our sin must begin... Because of the way the father regards his daughters. Let me tell you something, ladies. Some of you have been victims of this very same type of garbage that I've been describing today. And let me tell you something. And please look me in the eyes when I tell you this as best as you can. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much. He would not dishonor you. He would not abuse you. He would not assault you. He would not disregard you. He would not dismiss you. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you like his own daughter. You know why? Because you are his own daughter. He purchased you. He purchased you with his very own blood. He predestined your adoption, as we've been talking about in our series, before the very foundation of the world. You are not just somebody who joined his club. You are someone he selected for himself. How does the father regard his daughters? Genesis one twenty seven tells us that the image of God, everybody knows we're created in the image of God, but very specifically, Genesis 1.27 says that God made his image male and female. Very specifically, it says that. It lists all kinds of things that God created in the first six days of creation, you know, giraffes and, you know, ladybugs and whatever else, and it never once makes a sexual distinction, male and female donkeys, male and female, you know, golden retrievers. Never does it until he comes to the image of God. And he said, the way I express my image is male and female. So... If you have an image of God that is only male, you have but half at best the image of God. The woman was created absolutely equal in essence, dignity, and value. And she was created complementary by divine design. Judgment must begin at the house of God, because the one that God has provided in the language of Genesis as a helper has too often been denigrated into a sexual plaything, a procreative accessory, a caricature of shallow thought, materialistic value, and unbridled emotion. But before you do that, listen to me, the Hebrew word translated helper is the same word used to describe God himself. 
Yahweh himself. In verses like Psalm 124, verse 8, where it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God said, I will make for the man a helper. And, 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 and the David cried out, our help is in the name of the Lord. And it's the same word. He's saying that there will be a time when the, when the, the, the counterpart to the man that I provide will come in and save the day. And if you've been married for more than 15 minutes, you've seen it happen. Over and over and over. See, the implication seems to be that the unique role of the woman is not merely to be our sidekick. She's not just to be my administrative assistant, but quite often reflecting the image of her creator, she's to be my savior. She's to rescue me from my stupidity, from my foolishness, from my lack of thinking. If you want to see a beautiful picture of this, go to the book of 1 Samuel and read the story of Abigail. David was being a knucklehead. And Abigail, can I'll let you read it. Look it up on the internet. Read the story of Abigail. Any husbands testify that sometimes your wife is your savior? Anybody? One or two of you? Judgment must begin because the men of the body of Christ... Guys, can we get real this morning? Right in the light of our wives and our daughters... Judgment has to begin because the men of the body of Christ often have failed miserably in their role as head, as protectors, as shepherd. Listen to what Paul told Timothy, his young protege. He said, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers. But watch this, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. How? In all purity. In all purity. So how have we failed? Let's start right here. And this is as uncomfortable for me to say as it is for you to hear. But according to some studies, up to 77% of Christian men regularly look at pornography. I'm not trying to shame you, men. I, I promise you that. Hand to heaven, I'm not trying to shame you. But pornography use is absolutely inconsistent with following Jesus. It's absolutely inconsistent with it. You cannot serve the idol of, of you know, images on a screen and, and the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. One of them has to go. It brutally dishonors not just your wife, not just your daughter, not just your mother, but it brutally dishonors every single woman on the face of the earth. But thankfully, there's many men, and can I be honest with you? There's many men right here at NRLC who have been very honest, very honest, and they've been freed by the grace of God from the snare of pornography. I thank God for that. I thank God for it. But if you're not, if you're still in that bondage, can I plead with you? Can I beg you? Can I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Get help. Talk to someone. No one's going to look down their nose at you because there's a lot of us that have been there. Get help. You will not regret it. But often those who have not been caught in porn's deadly web, have dishonored their women with their tongues 
and their hearts. They failed to love them as Christ loved the church. They haven't served or they haven't elevated or they haven't respected or they haven't faithfully led or they've spoken harshly and they make demands instead of sacrifices. And lastly, some have twisted or what I would call over-interpreted certain scriptures to deny God's daughters, the women of the body, opportunities for meaningful service in the work of the kingdom. This is not to say that Scripture does not define certain roles for men and women and specific duties and situations in the family and in the church. But if you've disregarded or vetoed the input of your sisters in Christ on, your, on the basis of your understanding of submission, you are in error and you must repent of your sin. And as I review this list of atrocities committed against the sisters in the body of Christ, I'm horrified as I notice how bloody my own hands are. I can't demand that some other man in this room turn to you ladies and repent. But would you allow me to do so? Can I just express my heart to you as a lady, as my sister in Christ? Can I just express my heart? If there's some man that has hurt you in the past and has never yet repented to you, will will you let me bear their sin this morning? Will you receive my feeble words as their own this morning? See, I want to repent to you for the times in my life that I have objectified the sisters in Christ for either sexual gratification or some other selfish agenda. I need to say to you that you were not my toys and you were not my slaves. I'm sorry for the times that I made the women in my life feel that way over the years. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for that? I want to repent to you for the times that I've made jokes and and snide remarks about the things that made you both beautiful and unique. Things that I was too thick-headed to see that I was... Seeing the very image of God in you. I was impatient with your emotions, impatient with your insights, and oftentimes I just disregarded your warnings. And I was a fool. Will you forgive me for that? I want to repent to you for the times that you brought your gifts into the church. But we ignored or overlooked you. We were spying out men who may have been less qualified or less godly instead of you and and, and letting you adorn the body of Christ with your gifts, your skills, and your talents. Sorry for all those times we relegated you to girl stuff. Denying ourselves, denying ourselves another powerful channel 
of the Spirit of God's power. Will you forgive me? As a sign of my repentance, I want to pledge to you as your pastor that I will do everything I can to lead Northridge Life Church as a place where you and your sisters are always honored. That we will lead you in gentleness and respect and in purity preserving your dignity. I also want to pledge to you our protection. If you're disrespected, if you're harassed, if you're put aside or abused in any way, you have our word from this day forward that you will find shelter here. If you inform any of us of the mistreatment inside this church or out, no matter where it's happening, we will come to your defense to the best of our ability. And lastly, we commit to honor you as the very image of God. You are the image of God and he is our mutual creator, our mutual savior. We'll look to you to fulfill your role as our helper, as the Lord is our helper, not our sidekick, not our accessory, not our administrative assistant, but as someone who is anointed to display the rescuing, delivering, saving power of God himself right in our midst. Now, here's where it gets real. If there's a man here, one, two, all of you, who want to join me, and there's no pressure on you, except hopefully from the Holy Spirit, but who want to join me in repentance, I would like to ask you to stand right now. No hesitation. You may be single. You may, like me, not have your wife here today. But if she's here, or maybe your mom or some sister, she's here. Will you just, if it's your wife, just put an arm around her shoulder. If it is your, ladies, you can stand with your husband if, if that would make it easier. If it is a, uh, someone that's not, maybe not a relative, you can maybe just place a hand on their shoulder or something. But. We're going to pray and we're going to mutually ask for forgiveness from these precious ladies, but also from our Father. Let's pray. And I don't want you to, as I've said so many times, I don't want you to let me dictate a prayer for you. I want you to open your heart. You know your unique catalog of sin in this regard. And I want you to begin to confess that. You don't have to embarrass yourself and say those things out loud, but I want you to be, do, be real with God right now and ask Him to come with the power of the Holy Spirit and the cleansing of Jesus Christ and make you able, make you able to serve that lady like she deserves, to treat her, to elevate her, to honor, to dignify her, to vindicate her like she deserves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these ladies. Thank you for sisters, Lord God. 
God, thank you for the image of Christ, the image of God that just overflows in their life, Lord God. The tenderness, the compassion, the beauty, the emotion, all of those beautiful things, Lord God, that you have made in their uniqueness, Lord God. Father, we ask that as men that you would forgive us, Lord God. You would forgive us for our disregard of them, our our selfishness in regard to them, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to honor them with our lives, Lord Jesus. You have commanded us, especially those of us who are married, to love our wives as you love the church, laying down our very lives to the very last drop of blood for our, for our wives, God. And so, God, we ask right now that you would just help us to do that. We look at that and we know there's not a chance anywhere that we can do that without your help. And so, Father, we need your help. And God, right now, I, I just ask that you would help us have a heart of repentance towards our wives and towards all the sisters in Christ. If you're standing there with someone, and uh, your wife, um, then it may be appropriate right now to just whisper a little, uh, a, a little confession and repentance into her ear and let her, let her forgive you. Ladies, I encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit to just indicate to your husbands that, you, that they have your forgiveness. Come on, go ahead and do this. I'm serious right now. Let's do some business with God right now. Let healing reign right now. Some of you are pulling your marriages back from the brink of disaster right now. Some of you are opening up channels of God's glory, His blessing, Peter even says that God that, that uh, God demands that we honor our wives so that our prayers won't be hindered. Some of you are banging your head against the wall wondering why your prayers aren't being answered. And it's because you have failed to honor your wife. So just confess to her right now. Let's bring healing. God's mercy is available. Your sins are many, folks, but His mercy is more. And I bet hers is too. I bet hers is too. So just begin to to deal with some things right now. I'm not saying this is going to be over here. You might need to go home and have a serious talk. But start right here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Bring healing, Lord God. We desperately need to be healed as a body, Lord Jesus. God, we want to be a body that honors those that you've sent among us as helpers, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified, be magnified, Jesus. We hunger and thirst for your righteousness right now in this regard. We hunger and thirst for it, Jesus. Come quickly and save us, O God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're about to come to the Lord's table. We're going to remember the healing and the unity that was purchased by Christ's broken body. And we're going to celebrate the cleansing that happens with his precious blood. Now listen, if you're a woman here, why don't you all stand with me as we prepare for this. If you're a woman here and you have felt the sting of these things that I've spoken about today, if that's you... 
when you come to the table in faith, that because of Christ's broken body, his spilled blood, will you come in faith that God can heal your broken heart and that he can work a, a, a genuine sense of forgiveness and, and even repentance in you. Come to the table and be washed and cleansed of all of that sorrow and all of that shame. If you're a man, perhaps your sin has been exposed in one way or another. I know mine has as I was writing this stuff. And if that's you, here's your invitation. Come receive forgiveness. Now she can say, I forgive you. But that's not your biggest problem. It's not your biggest need. You need Jesus to come and not make you in some wispy theological sense a new creation. You need him to make you a new husband. Aaron, is my mic on? I, I said, you need Jesus to come this morning and make you a brand new husband. Thank you. Me too. That's what I'm talking about too. And so let me invite you to come and receive that forgiveness. It's exactly what these elements represent. A forgiveness that was purchased for you that you did not have to earn. And everybody said...